This is Cambridge Judge Business School's online knowledge centre with expert commentary, analysis and insights into the issues of the day. The contagion around the LIBOR rigging scandal continues to spread, implicating not only UK banks but also American, German and Swiss institutions. Barclays has been fined £290 million by UK and US regulators for trying to fix the London interbank offered rate, known as LIBOR, a rate at which a bank can borrow or lend from other banks. Resignations of the Barclays CEO and chairman followed. Now US regulators are looking into potential involvement by other banks in that Barclays scandal. Their investigation is based on the assumption that at least one other bank must have colluded with Barclays in any attempt to manipulate LIBOR. The UK government has launched its own review into how the interbank rate is calculated and regulated. Few are following the unfolding story more closely than Cambridge Judge Business School's Professor of Finance, Raghavendra Rao. What the uh, banks are supposed to do is provide estimates of that rate at which they can borrow or lend from other banks to the various financial regulatory authorities around the world. In England, for example, uh, suppose 16 banks submit their um, estimates of these offer rates. The bank throws out, the Bank of England throws out the top 25%, the top four, and the bottom four, keeps the middle eight, takes the average, and publicizes that number. And that number is incredibly influential. It sets almost any kind of um, contract uh, interest rate you see around the world. Mortgages, for example, many floating rate mortgages are tied to LIBOR. So LIBOR plus 1%, LIBOR plus 2%. Companies in many cases borrow on the basis of LIBOR. So LIBOR rates are incredibly influential, which is why this is such a big deal. In view of your explanation, are you surprised that LIBOR is not regulated and it really is decided by the strength on the strength of a few phone calls to members of the lead, leading members of the British Bankers Association. That's not really surprising because the basic idea, I think, is we're dealing with these guys on a one-to-one basis every day of the year. So essentially what you have is uh, as long as you have repeated transactions with the same group of people, the regulatory authorities will probably tend to believe that they know what is going on and they can put a stop to any kind of odd behavior on part of the banks. But in this case, they haven't. Unfortunately, that's exactly true. But there are two types of episodes which you need to talk about, right? One group of episodes was before 2008. And what happened there was actually interesting because in many cases, the bank itself had two departments. One was the trading department and the other was the lending department. So if you want to make a profit, what you would like to do is set the rates at points in time when it's, when it's beneficial for your trading activity. That's definitely bad. But what happened after 2008 was essentially a case of public confidence. So what's, what banks were saying was, if we quote too high a number, that means no one's willing to lend to us, it's a sign that all the banks are, whichever bank is quoting too high a number, it's a sign that that bank is in financial distress, where well, it may not be. Maybe that's a true estimate, but if you're looking in terms of propping up the public confidence, maybe you want to temporarily report a wrong number. In fact, that's a little bit what Barclays did. Barclays claims that it was uh, trying to keep in the top four, which means it lowered its numbers, but it kept it in the top four, knowing that those four numbers would be thrown out. 
So it never actually influenced LIBOR. But it still doesn't address the problem of what happened before 2008 when all the trading divisions across all the banks which were involved in selling LIBOR were busy um, trying to make money on the basis of choosing an interest rate which is particularly beneficial for them in that point in time. That was just in an effort to make money. It got nothing to do with trying to create public confidence, for example. From your point of view, can you see the review which is currently being set up into LIBOR and how it's calculated and, and all the things around it, can you see uh, that review allowing this unregulated system to continue? Again, it depends on what you mean by an unregulated system. If you have a group of people dealing with each other and they're all sufficiently sophisticated and they know what they're doing, unregulatory systems work well. The problem happens when you have one group of people who are much less sophisticated than the other group. And in LIBOR's case, if LIBOR affected only the 20 banks who are involved in it, it wouldn't matter. If they're setting rates, it affects only them. They're all professionals. They can deal with it. The problem is, essentially, once you start dealing with unsophisticated people, people who really have loans and mortgages and everything tied to LIBOR, but LIBOR is being set completely differently, one of those groups of people are going to be affected. But then the problem becomes particularly worse because it's not that... Everybody else is worse off. It's one group of unsophisticated people is worse off, but another group is better off. If I'm lending money and LIBOR is too high, I benefit. If I'm borrowing money and LIBOR is too low, I benefit. So in both cases, regulation is probably a good idea when you have different levels of sophistication. If everyone's the same level of sophistication, a self-regulatory mechanism would work pretty well. Sophistication is a word that you're using quite a lot. Define it. Explain what you mean. Well, in this case, I would probably say the expertise in trying to understand um, what are the exact consequences for cash flow, the exact consequences for the amount of risk you're taking. And this, by the way, when I say sophistication, I don't entirely rule out the regulatory authorities because the regulatory authorities, think of the Bank of England, for example, it hires smart people, doesn't pay them as much as, for example, a top executive in a bank. And they don't, so in consequence, they don't hire enough regulators who are willing to work on the on behalf of the public wheel. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you expect them to monitor people who are, whose whole business, whose whole bonus depends on them trying to get the maximum money possible. So it's a little unbalanced, the fight, I think. If you're asked to, to go to the LIBOR review and offer them some advice, what would you be saying to them? Well, one way to actually be able to do it is pretty straightforward. It's just make the banks put the money where the mouth is. So on average, for example, suppose you quote a number for LIBOR and you say, I think banks will be willing to lend to me at 2%. And you know that's not true because actually the number is maybe 4% because the bank is a little more distressed than you say it is. Say, fine, if that's the rate which you think banks are willing to lend to you, give me that money at 2%. So if the bank has actually give, if the bank actually has that, it's, uh, um, it's fine. But if it is actually 4% is the right number, it's going to be losing money. The same thing in the other way around. So essentially what you're doing is if banks can pick two banks or three banks at random and let them make them execute on, say, a million pounds or 10 million pounds, if it hurts, they'll learn very rapidly not to quote fake numbers. But the numbers have to be substantial. I mean, you can't say, okay, lend us 100,000 pounds at 2%. I mean, it's really you know, not much for, a particular, for any bank. 2 million pounds, period of 10 days. If, it, if they're quoting too high a number, it's definitely going to hurt them. Professor Rao, thank you very much.
This programme was produced by the Cambridge Judge Business School as part of its online broadcast series. Thank you.